If you've come in since we gave our little uh, what's going on at Sunridge, I just want to let you know that uh, right after this service, I have a welcome brunch, and that's going to be in room 107. I'd love to have you there if you're new to Sunridge. Stop in, and we'll tell you a little bit about our church. It only lasts like three to four hours. Um, no, it's, it's, it's under an hour, depending on how many questions you ask, but we do feed you, as I mentioned, so free food. Um, there's a, a seminary on the other side of the coast uh, called Gordon-Conwell, and in 2012, they did a study of the you know, denominations and the growth of that, growth of those in, in this country, and what they determined, or actually in the world, in 2012, there were 43,000 denominations, Christian denominations, and uh, they just, they did all this research, they took it all the way back at least to 1900, in the year 1900, there were 1,600, so we're kind of like upward trend, you know, and uh, that means the Christian community, to me, what it means is that we, we have a perception problem, we're divided. You could, you could go to Wikipedia, and they'd say that there are 40 denominations with many, many iterations of that. And then there are some scholars that would say there's really only six basic groups of Christians, but they just divide in all these other kind of peripheral detail areas, which to me makes the point with a sharper pencil. You know, not only is it possible that we could, in the Christian community be separated by 43,000 different denominations, we could also have less denominations but be separated over nuances. We're just divided. I don't know about you, but like the thing that that calls to mind is Jesus' prayer in John 17 when, you know, thinking of not just his disciples at that time, but the future church. And he said, I pray that they become one just as you and I, Father, are one. I'm not sure if we're actually fulfilling that today. We're going to talk about unity today. We're in this book called Philippians. It's in your New Testament. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote back to a church that he founded in this community of Philippi. And today's title is called Joy Comes from Unity because this this book has been all about how to enjoy life and be happy and, and have that inner joy. Joy comes from unity, but you know, there's a problem with that. Here's the problem, and this would be the first thing in your notes if you're keeping notes along with this. The problem with unity is that it often dissolves just when you need it most. Isn't that true? The problem with unity is it often dissolves just when you need it most. Unity is great and easy when everybody's getting along, right? But something happens. It's easy, it's easy, and then it's not easy. In fact, I think that unity has test anxiety. You know what that is? Like you, even though you know all the answers, you, you still fail the test. Any place, any relationship, any circle... Any, any place where people are connected, if there's not unity, it's likely there's not joy either. And so in this part of Paul's letter, he addresses two scenarios in which unity gets challenged often for us, kind of like two big categories. And there's situations in which unity is really needed, but usually found wanting. Battles that come from without 
and quarrels from within. So that's what we're going to look at today. The battles from without, that's where we're going to start. In your notes, this is like facing battles from without. Starting in verse 27 of chapter 1, whatever happens, Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. I don't like that part, do you? Verse 30, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. At the tail end of this part of Paul's letter, we see that the Philippians are beginning to experience the same persecution Paul has. Remember, he's in prison or he's under house arrest with a Roman guard chained to him and he's writing this letter back about being joyful, which is like, that's what makes the letter so remarkable. But they're experiencing this. Last week we talked about how persecution in the early church started local, but then it started to expand. And so it went from these local and just kind of the most prominent and leaders of Christianity were persecuted, and now just like your regular everyday Christian is starting to face this persecution. And so Paul's words here are, he's trying to like kind of get in their heads in a way and give them a frame of reference, first of all. And so basically he says this, when you're facing these battles from without, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. He says in verse 28, don't be frightened. In verse 28, also he says, this persecution that you're facing, it's actually proof of your true conversion. And then he says that in verse 29, that it's even a privilege. It's a sign that you're truly a Christian and you have been granted to suffer with Christ, not just believe on him. It is a privilege to be associated with Jesus in this manner. So he's kind of given them that mental frame of reference and then he gets real practical. So in facing battles from without, He says, don't be frightened. And then he says, stand firm together. In verse 27, stand firm together. And the picture here he's he's drawing is, is of a soldier who is bracing himself in battle. And so again, these these we've talked about how the the community in Philippi was largely settled by former Roman soldiers, retired soldiers, and and so a lot of them get it. It's like they're picturing times when they were in battle and they stood firm together. It says stand firm in one spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. It says stand firm in your human spirit and link yourselves together. And I'd imagine that some of them could picture actual battles they had where they braced themselves with their shields in front of them and locked with their soldiers and became, with their fellow soldiers and became an impenetrable wall to the enemy. This picture is about holding your ground, standing firm in the face of that battle. And then he gives another metaphor, another picture. He says, work as a team. 
stand firm together, but then work as a team. In verse 27, there's two words he brings together, athleo, and then another word that means together. So athleo, you know, is where we get athletics, and what he's saying is you're, you're like a team that has to cooperate and work together toward a victory. You're striving together for that win. So the picture he gives them in facing a battle from without is one, to stand your ground, hold this ground, but then two, take ground, go for the win together. So on this weekend where football is launching and in full force, Paul has covered defense and offense. I just want to point that out. They're both important. But drawing all that together, Paul is saying this, that we have to allow the battles we face to draw us together, not pull us apart. The battles we face must draw us together, not pull us apart. When I was a high school pastor in Huntington Beach, we did all these crazy games, and one of the, the favorite events of our high schoolers was one we called pull apart or pick apart. And, what, and so the, the guys of one team would get in this pile, and they'd all hook themselves together. We'd just wind ourselves all up, legs, arms, hold on to each other. And then we would unleash the girls from the other team to pull them apart. And I just want to say that girls can be really vicious. And as much as you try to hold on, you know, like they were like, you know, some guys, would just, all you'd have left of your T-shirt was that little ring at the top, you know, and there'd be scratches all over your body and everything. But, you know, it was a timed event, and it was all about just holding together for, for, you know, you couldn't choke. That was about the only rule. But I saw some heads pulled off. The reason why I think Paul has to say this is so, it's so easy for us in, the, in, in a battle when things are coming at us. Like, it's easy for us to bicker within. It's, it's, it's like you just think about like the last argument you had at home. And it's like maybe it was something that came from without. And yet at a time when you should be pulling together, it's like it's ripping you apart. It could, it could be financial stress. It could be your situation at work. It could be a health issue. It could be estrangement in your family or drama in your family. All these things are loss. And it's like, it's like a challenge. It's attacking the unity of your family. The same thing can happen in a church. I mean, this is not the easiest time to be a Christian. And there are battles either that are coming at the church or we are at the same time trying to like make forward progress on things like injustice and clean water and education and like helping the world be a better place. And like in the middle of that, whether it's in your home or your church, it's really important to pull together. But I bet some of you could tell stories like I can of when that stress comes, it tends to kind of erode that unity. Because the biggest threat, really, in the end, isn't what comes from without. It's what comes from within, in the middle of it. I love this quote from Winston Churchill. He said, when there is no enemy within, the enemies outside cannot hurt you. And so that brings me to the other category of these battles. 
resolving quarrels from within. There's facing battles from without and resolving quarrels from within. And there are quarrels going on in Philippi. When we get to chapter 4, we're going to see these two women that are prominent leaders in this church, Yodia and Syntyche, and they're in a beef with one another. And, you know, if it was just like some, you know, like just a regular church squabble, I don't think that it would have made it into the scripture. They're obviously leading in some capacity, and obviously that conflict is spilling over onto other people, and so Paul addresses it. You know, when I read it, I don't want to get ahead of that, but like, like how'd you like for your whole life, all into eternity even, your name is recorded as being like an argument? That's really a bummer. So a really good reason to listen today in case we write more Bible and you end up in it. Paul begins to address how to resolve quarrels from within with a plea. I love this. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and I just like, look at those words up there. Is that not like the church you want to be a part of? The, the, you, do you not want these words to describe your family or other relationships? A place of encouragement, of unity, of comfort, love, fellowship, tenderness and compassion. That's like the church I want to be a part of. I want my home to be like that. So Paul's kind of laying that out. But the plea here is, he's saying, if you already have that. Now catch this. If, he's saying, if, if you have benefited from the gospel, if you are part of the family of God, and along that way, you've experienced the love that comes from the community of faith, you've experienced that support from the fellowship, if you've been encouraged and inspired, and people have been tender and compassionate with you, people have really cared about it. If you've had that, he's going to say, then do this. Because if you've been given it, it's only natural that you should share it. And in verse 2, he tells us how this kind of a community of faith can become a reality. If you have these things, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfless ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look not, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I want to just look, first of all, at that first phrase, because I, I think it's so remarkable coming from the Apostle Paul. He says, if you have all these things, then make my joy complete. I want to point out that Paul, part of Paul's plea is on behalf of his relationship with them as their pastor. He's essentially saying, make your pastor happy. You know that's okay. He's saying, I really care about you. And the thing I want most for you is for you to have unity. Now what's remarkable, remarkable about that to me is how different Paul is. This is so indicative of how much Jesus has changed him. He was not a unifier. 
He grew up in the rabbi tradition, which is, you know, they would argue among themselves over theological points, and they separated into different sects and categories. And, you know, the Apostle Paul was also there at the early persecution of the church. He wasn't working toward unity at all. And something dramatic has happened to him. The gospel has reached him. And he's so different. This is a whole different approach for the Apostle Paul. And by the way, that should be all of our goal. And not just our pastor to say, you know, the thing that would bring most joy to me is unity in the church. I can tell you that that's true for me. But that should be the goal of every one of us who names the name of Christ. That what brings us joy is to see relationships brought together. Super powerful thing for him to say, and also very vulnerable. And he's leveraging his relationship with these people and saying, yeah, if you do it for nothing else, do it to bring me joy the last conflict you were in, at home, school, dorm, church, your small group, was the thing that, like in that moment, was the thing that was going to bring you your greatest joy, was it going to be unity? He goes on and is like, starting off of that plea, he just, he hits a list, like a, there's a lot of bullets here, so, and these are in your notes, we're going to click through them pretty quickly, he says, you want to do that, then find our common ground. The way he puts it is be like-minded. Not like robots and zombies, everybody do, you know, step, you know, fit in the box. But, you know, the truth is in any relationship, in any circle, eventually we're going to find something that we disagree with. It's a church, you know, getting married. And when you do, Paul's recommendation here is that You look for your common ground. And by nature, I think, we can kind of elevate our differences. Paul's saying when that happens, like, strive to find your commonness. What is it that we share in common? Next, he says, remember the love that binds us in verse 2. He says, I want you to have the same love for one another. So we share a love for what we have in common, which is the gospel, right? It's the thing that binds us isn't our political perspective or um, who we voted for, where we live, the color of our skin. Those aren't the things that bring us together because we're going to be so different in all of us, our economic status. It's like the thing that we share in common, our common love, is for Jesus Christ. We should emphasize that. He says, also uh, align our purposes in verse 2. He says, I want you to be one in spirit and purpose. And so, again, he's just reemphasizing that unity. And let's, you know, in the middle of, like, all these differences, let's find the things that we can move forward with together. Then he gets a little personal in verse 3. and He says, drop selfish ambition. Drop selfish ambition. And this phrase in uh, literature outside of the Bible was talking about someone who was seeking political office and would do, do so by any means. They, they would uh, even uh, do it unjustly. 
And so, you know, it's really interesting that in the earliest church, we already have people who are doing what might be good things or, or religious things, certainly, for all the wrong reasons. That there's, there's ambition. We should all be ambitious, right? But the, 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 the kicker here is selfish ambitions. Like self is already a part of God's work. Then he says, acknowledge I don't know everything. In verse 3, he says, don't go on in the, in the vainness of your conceit or the vanity of your conceit, which is like, I just know everything. I have all the facts. And so I don't need to talk to anybody about the facts because I already have them all. No, you don't. And when, when we think that way, when we think our perspective is all-inclusive of all knowledge, then we jump to conclusions. And we don't hear other people out. Another way to put this is um, listen. Um, it, w- it was a number of months ago, and th- a conflict arose between a staffer and a volunteer here. And, you know, it's just like human stuff. And the volunteer thought that they knew everything about what they were doing, and, th- and then they really didn't. And so this staffer very humbly and gently pointed out that, no, this is, it will work. And that volunteer got really upset. I think they were embarrassed. And so rather than sitting down with that staffer, they, what they did is they started talking to other people in their team about what happened to them. Only they had a certain version of the story that wasn't really true. And I was really sad because it started to affect other people. But the story has a great ending because one volunteer came to that staffer about whom it was said. And he said, you know, I heard this happen. Is that what happened? And the staffer said, no, really, this is what happened, and you can corroborate it with there were several other people there. And the volunteer said, oh, you know, I didn't think it sounded like you. You know what's cool about that story is that there was actually somebody who realized they didn't know everything. If somebody was mistreated or abused, we, you know, that should be dealt with, right? No matter who it comes from. But because they took an extra step and realized they didn't know everything, they got another version of the story. I think that that's a, that's, a, that's a win. So we don't know everything. In fact, I think that it would be good for us to just repeat that together. You know, I don't know everything. Will you guys do that with me? Okay, so I'm going to count one, two, three, and then we'll all say together, I don't know everything. You ready? One, two, three. I don't know everything. Doesn't that feel good? Thank you for confessing. And you can come forward after service and pray and really get that squared away. Then Paul says, be humble, verse 3. He says, you know, in humility, consider others better than yourself. And that's not just like an attitude of, of how you go through a conflict, a quarrel inside, but it's also like how, 
How do you sort it all out after it's over? You know, are you humble when you realize you weren't right? Are you humble when it becomes validated that you were right? Because Paul's saying that we have to consider other people more than ourselves and be humble. You know, in, in my home, we, Cindy and I have a disagreement over uh, our reading glasses. Now, you know, if you, if you haven't hit the mid-40s yet, you can tune me out, but your day is coming. But we just, we need our reading glasses. And so we started off with two. You know, there was mine and hers. And then we could never find them. And um, that created tension between us as to who was not putting them back where they should be. I told the story in the first service and several families came up and confessed that they have this conflict in their house. So we started to mitigate it by like just buying, every time we went to Costco, we got a three-pack of readers and now they're just everywhere, you know? You come to my house, it looks like, you know, they're like table decorations. This is, and uh, so in spite of the fact that we have all these glasses, I can sit down in my place where my glasses are supposed to be and they're not there. And so I ask Cindy, you know, hey, have you, where's all of our readers? Where's my readers? Only I'm not really asking, you know, where they are. It's kind of an accusation, like, what did you do with my readers? <laughs> because too often I've gone in the bathroom and on the counter there's like a pile this high of readers. And... Um, so one particular time I went to her about this, and I was kind of like miffed, you know. And I said, Cindy, what have you done with my readers? And she said, you mean those ones hanging on your shirt right now? <laughs> when did you misplace those there? That's how I respond. So uh, it takes some humility. And then lastly, he says we need to empathize. The way he puts it is look to their interests, which is really a reduction of myself. Am I, am I as concerned about them in this conflict? You know, wh why do they have that perspective or position? And in the past, I've said, you know, when, when we're in conflict, we tend to do this to one another. It's like, I've got to get the upper hand. And the picture that Paul's giving us here in humility and empathy is to come underneath people. How... How can we sort this out? I think I've done this before, but I have a visual, and anytime I can do a visual, I think it just really reinforces what we're talking about. So every time I teach this passage, I love to do this one thing, and they're going to bring a prop out here, so I've got a little... Um, object lesson for you. And I, I've asked Todd Hunt to come up and help me with this. Come on up, Todd. Todd's an elder and an awesome guy. What's up, brother? Thanks for helping me with this. Um, I had this in my eye when I came to church today, but that's another, that's another message. So uh, get on the beam here. We, you know what we've been... It's a little rickety, isn't it? Yeah. This came out of my son-in-law and daughter's garage, but um, sometimes when we have conflict with people come this way, 
what it feels like is we're both going in opposite directions, right? And so now we're in each other's way. So, like, in that situation, what does unity look like? Well, I have some options here because I want to get over there. And where do you want to go, Todd? You want to go over there. So I could just block you, right? You could try. Yeah, I could try, exactly. <laughs> Careful, man. I'm, I'm in a protected category now. And uh, I could just shove you off out of my way. <laughs> that wasn't fair. Or I could just announce to everybody, hey, everybody, you see Todd? He wants bad stuff. He's behind. He wants to get over here. I want to get over there. He's in my way. And plus, he shouldn't even be going over there. I just want everybody to know that Todd's trying to go somewhere he shouldn't go. You getting the picture? Or I could get low. And I could, we could work it out, right? How about that? Would that work? So there's another scenario, though. Come this way and turn around. Sometimes you're going in the same direction, but at a different rate of speed, right? But I'll tell you, when, when that happens, it feels like you're going in the opposite direction. But it's important to note that you both want the same thing. You're just traveling at a different speed. And once again, we have some options, right? I could announce to all my friends, Todd's holding the whole program up. He's in the way. I'm like, hey, let's have a prayer group about Todd. Um, I could uh, shove him out of my way, right? I could just grab him and say, slow down, man. You're going too fast. God doesn't want us to go that fast. He wants us slow back here where all the real Christians are. Or once again... How could we work this out, Todd? What is that over there? <laughs> so is this, is this dropping our selfish ambition, being humble, considering others? This is seeking unity in the middle of what feels like I can't have unity. Thank you, Todd. You're my boy. Put that next point up there. Thanks, guys. Oh, I brought out the strong dudes. All right. Leave that. I'm going to put that back in my eye after church. I got some judging to do. If you want to enjoy life, then choose unity every time. If you want to be happy, choose unity every time. By the way, it is a choice. The, the, the point of this whole passage is that Paul's saying, we have options. There are other ways to do it. Now, I love what Dr. E.V. Hill used to call the yeah buts. It's like, yeah, but, yeah, but. And all these yeah, buts are going off in your head. It's like, well, what about those things? What are, does it mean that I can't have convictions? Does it mean we all have to stay in the same church, in the same group? I, it means like I can never get out of that. It's like, you know, what, what does that mean when we disagree? And um, 
Can there only be one church? No, that's not what Paul is saying at all. And he's not saying that uh, it's sinful to have conflict. In fact, he's saying there is conflict. That's normal. It's not always good, but it's normal. So much of the New Testament that talks about relationships is really about how to resolve our differences in a way that takes us toward unity. It's not that we're going to agree on everything. In fact, I think choosing unity is more about how we're going to disagree. So how in the world are a bunch of people who are so different and come from so, so many different places, how are we going to do this? Well, it's not easy, as you know. It's not easy with the people that are closest to you. But it is what will bring us happiness. I want to, you know, you, you, if you're a Bible study kind of person, you know that Paul's letters, they, they start cerebral and they turn practical. Most of his letters start with the theology and then they move to the application. It's like, he, it's the why first and then the what. And where we dropped into the scripture today is that transition period. He's going from the why to the what, but he blends it all in one verse. It's in verse 27. I'm going to put it up as the last point. He says, whatever happens, this is how this all started. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I want to point out a couple of things. First of all, he said, whatever happens. So when we talk today and, and like maybe some conflicts came up in your past, or like you're in the middle of, whether it's in your church or your, your family or wherever it's coming from. There's no exception clause, Christian. It's whatever happens. Well, except for Brit's conflict. It's not in there. So whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And one of the things that we've been pointing out is how Paul is merging joy and the gospel throughout this book. He uses the word gospel more than he uses the word joy. And so, once again, the, the centering point, the, the basis is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what he's calling the Philippians specifically to is when he says, conduct yourselves, he's using a phrase that they're very familiar with that is, that is about their citizenship. Again, Roman, former Roman citizens, very proud of their Romanness, and they belong to Rome. And so this community, its, it's values and it's the way they do things, they do it in the Roman way. That's the phrase Paul is using, and he's saying, you're not just a citizen of Rome. You are a citizen of heaven. You have the same king. You have the same laws. You have the same conduct of behavior. You have the same values because your citizenship is in the same place, regardless of all of your differences. And so... 
conduct yourself in a manner that is indicative that you belong there, that you, that you are a citizen of heaven. That's the calling of every Christian. The calling of every Christian is to work toward unity in our church, in our family, in your place of work. Why? Because you're a citizen of heaven. And your charter, the thing that gives you that citizenship, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.